Hello and welcome to another episode of Cast It Into The Fire. I'm on with Bill again. Yeah. And um, today we're going to take a short break from Game of Thrones and talk about dinosaurs and Cadillacs. Cadillacs and dinosaurs. Why does everyone always get that backwards? I don't know. It's called dinosaurs, Cadillacs and Dinosaurs. You nearly made me say it. And it was changed... The comics were changed to something called Xenozoic Tales because Mar- the author, Mark Schultz, he's the author and the artist, he did not want to pay a Cadillac. So, uh, and why does it make any difference? Because he didn't want to pay them. Like, why does it matter to Cadillac if it's... Because a lot of... Uh, if you mention brand names to a lot of things and if you become famous enough, they'll hit you up for money. But the brand name is still mentioned. Yeah, it is. And it's uh, the series... Which we're going to be talking about today, the actual series, is uh, called that, as well as the first book, as well as uh, one of the spinoff comics. I don't know. I just know that he changed it because he he didn't want to pay the money. I don't actually know what ended up being uh, negotiated. Um, So, um, yeah. So, it's a series about um, a number of interesting things. Sarah, how about you? I want you, as somebody who'd never seen it before, to summarize it. Okay, I binged the whole TV series. I have not read the um, comics. And, okay, so there's this guy named Jack Tenrick, and he seems to have been raised by the, the Griff, which are these dinosaur humanoid uh, creatures fully sapient and then he uh, got into mechanics specialized in Cadillacs and um, tried to save dinosaurs and the ecosystem from both the poachers and the government have I got that right? Uh, you got it mostly right well the only thing I'm going to say is that we don't actually know Jack Tenrick's exact origin. We just know that he's something, part of an organization called the Old Blood Mechanics. Okay, this story takes place in the 26th century, 500 years from now. Um, it takes place after something called a, a the Cataclysm happened. We don't know exactly what it is in the comics. It's very strongly hinted to be nuclear war. Um, so, sort of a Mad Max Fallout situation. Keep Bear in mind, this was created in the, originally created in the uh, early 80s. So, 500 80s. years from now, we get dinosaurs, but the drawback is we get nuclear war. I mean, nuclear. Uh, yeah, well, we, we get... We, it's implied that it was nuclear war in the comics. Um, and again, that's sort of a trend. I mean... Mad Max really started that, and that was originally from something... Uh, it was a novel called The Last Babylon, but that that's sort of a whole story for another day. And uh, it was sort of a popular trope since then. Uh, and Fallout sort of is actually one of the most popular. And interestingly enough, there are a lot of parallels between this series and Fallout. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of differences too, but there's also a lot of very, very... Uh, stark parallels, although I will say that, um, yeah, like I said, uh, 
the this this series Cadillacs and Dinosaurs slash Zenas of Tales came a l- came a little before Fallout. I'm not strong on my Fallout lore. I've watched other people play it, and oh. I've looked at some wiki articles oh, involving I've played Fallout from the beginning. I I very much know all about Fallout, but um, yeah, that's we we I I highly doubt that Mark Schultz, as far as I know, not related to Charles Schultz, the guy who created um. Um, Xenozoic Tales slash Cadillacs Dinosaurs. Mark Schultz, as far as I know, is not... I don't think he's read any, um... Anything like... I, I don't know what he has seen and what he's experienced. I mean, he has a lot of, uh... His work has a lot of parallels, not only to, uh, Fallout and Mad Max, but also to, uh... To other things like, uh, Frank Herbert and Ursula Le Guin... Um, to an extent. I mean, again, not quite the same because he's using, he's not using like far out fantasy. He's actually using prehistoric animals as well as modern animals combined with, uh, uh, well, 50s vehicles for the most part. Um, and the story is basically that of a guy named Jack Tenrick. He belongs to an organization called the, uh, Old Blood Mechanics. And the Old Blood Mechanics actually kept humanity alive. Throughout uh, the Cataclysm. When the Cataclysm happened, humanity went underground into these vaults. Again, Fallout parallel, as well as some other post-apocalyptic parallels. And unleashed something that was supposed to heal the uh, biosphere. And 500 years later, uh, after living in the vaults, humanity emerged. And it's... Again, in the comics, I know I'm going off into the comics here, but we'll talk more about the actual series, the cartoon. Uh, the the comics imply that a lot of knowledge has been lost, and that the old blood mechanics and a select few amount of scientists and uh, an organization called Moles, which are technological, uh, they're they're sort of technology worshippers. Uh, they kept humanity alive and they ha- are the guardians of ancient knowledge that has long been lost. They don't really go into this in the series. In fact, in the series, it's sort of, uh, it sort of indicates that they just sort of, ign- they know more about the older ways, but they ignore it. Um, so humanity emerges, uh, thin and... Not only are there dinosaurs, but there's pretty much everything that ever lived on Earth, uh, all somehow thriving in some contained ecosystem. And humanity uh, goes into the world and starts anew, but in order to prevent another uh, catastrophe, they adopt something called the Machinato Vitae, I guess Machinato Wittai, if you want to actually... Well, whatever. We won't get into how it's pronounced. The point is that it is the... Uh, it means the machinery of life. And but that seems like it's just the ecosystem. I mean... Well, well, it is, and it's the idea is that humanity cannot become the domineering force that it was. It cannot just pollute and trash and uh, destroy things at will. It has to actually care for the ecosystem... And that also means uh, accepting sacrifice. Uh, It's implied that, you know, okay, maybe we shouldn't be all driving around all the time or, you know, killing everything we want. 
Now, people are going to point out, of course... Everybody's driving around all the time in that. Well, not really. Jack Tenrick is the one who's driving around a lot. And a few of them have... uh, A few of them have trucks. Uh, There's a lot less... Again, it's another difference in the comic. There's a lot less uh, trucks in the comic. But in the cartoon, yeah, there are a lot of trucks. In both the basically say... Of course there's a lot of truck. It's marketed toward... Yeah, towards like 10-year-old boys. Especially in the, uh, the comic... Or not the comic, the cartoon. The cart- The comic is very... It's more, I'd say, uh, marketed towards the, I guess, uh, older teen to early adult. Whereas the, the cartoons very much implied to me, as Sarah would say. How would you describe that, Sarah? Ten-year-old boys, dinosaurs go roar, cars go from... Yeah, exactly. But uh, it does at least mention in the cartoon that he... Uh, that Jack Tenner created a supposedly mostly eco-friendly um, uh, type of fuel from slither dung. And slither dung, that means dinosaur uh, dinosaur waste. And he... We don't know the details. It's supposedly a secret formula. We actually don't know how it's not able to pollute, but we just know that that somehow happens, so we sort of accept it. I suppose now's a good time to mention that they've got all these other words for dinosaur, as if the word dinosaur did not make it through the... Yeah, it's one of those things in the comic, it's implied that, the, that dinosaurs and knowledge of them didn't really make it through, and past life didn't really make it through the cataclysm, and it was 500 years of humanity basically experiencing no life other than other humans. Uh, In the cartoon, they don't go into that. They sort of just, they actually acknowledge the word dinosaur, but they ignore it, and they use the word slither. And they use different uh, names for slithers. Uh, This sort of prompted one of my rants earlier to Sarah that okay, um, if I, th- I could believe that most other names would be lost, but I can't believe that T-Rex would be lost. I can't imagine that Tyrannosaurus Rex, something that has been ingrained in human mind since it was discovered and became just more and more popular after each year, I can't imagine that that would be lost. But they don't call T-Rexes T-Rexes. They don't call them Tyrannosaurus Rex, the Tyrant Lizard King. They call them Shivits, which... Uh, you know, I'm not sure what that is. I will say that a lot of the names actually have weird, uh, sort of weird, uh, pseudo meanings and sort of, they're sort of, uh, uh, you know, like, they'll have, they'll have almost, uh, weird references to things. Uh, what kind um, of, uh, dinosaur was the, the pet one, uh, Hermes? Hermes is their pet, well, he's Jack. Jack Tenricks and a guy named Hugh Serene, uh, I think that's how you pronounce his name. I'm not 100% sure, but Hugh Serene's not a character in the cartoon, and he's barely a character in the comics until you get to the spin-off comics from Tops. But, um, uh, they, he is an Allosaurus, and they have, they call Allosaurus cutters, although they'll call other animals cutters, too. To people who aren't dino nerds, it probably just registers as a T-Rex. Well, it's not. I mean, it's clearly smaller than a T-Rex. I mean... You think people who aren't dino nerds are going to know that? Maybe. I mean, I feel like most people will think of T-Rex as big as, if nothing else. 
I mean, if anything, people usually seem to think T-Rexes are bigger than they are, which, you know, we could go into the dimensions of a Tyrannosaurus Rex, but, you know, that's, that, that's its own subject. Bill has a pet iguana named Hermes, and it's, he's had it for years, and I only recently found out that's where the name came from. Well, to be fair, I also did name him because he's the, he's a, uh, black spiny-tailed iguana, which is the fastest land reptile in the world, so the name Hermes actually does make sense for an animal like that. But, you know, we won't, we won't go into that too much. Um, so yes, they have a, um, so, I, I sort of got ahead of myself. Uh, Jack Tenrick resides in a place called the City in the Sea. And the City in the Sea is actually post-apocalyptic Manhattan that has basically the uh, cleanliness and crime levels of uh, 1960s Manhattan. Uh, <laughs> and it... Uh, maybe a little worse than that. Um, and it it's very much implied that, you know, it's all the, a lot of the complexities of uh, Manhattan city life have uh, not necessarily survived, but, you know, have been sort of brought back and Jack lives... He actually doesn't live there. He lives in his garage, which is off the island and sort of on the mainland and in a weird geothermal fortress. Sarah, describe this for a sec. The garage. It's a big garage. It's got you know, all the stuff for him to fix his uh, Cadillacs after they get damaged in his dino shenanigans. Um, his uh, Hermes the Allosaurus is just there acting like a dog. Um... Yeah, in the, in, the, in the show, he's basically like a dog, a very badly behaved dog, that, that, but still It's a like fortress that. base of sorts. Yeah, it's a fortress base, and it is geothermal powered, which, uh, that's sort of a plot-relevant point a uh, number of times. But anyway, um... So why is his name Tenric? I don't know why they named him after a, for those of you listening, a Tenric is a small uh, Madagascar mammal that's related to a shrew distantly. It looks a lot like a hedgehog, as in if you saw one and didn't know what it was, it would look like a hedgehog. Well, they're really colorful, though. They like look like, you'd be like, okay, that's like a psychedelic hedgehog. But uh, they're really, really colorful, and I believe, like I said, I believe they're closely related to, sh- not closely, but... Fairly related to shrews. I think they're more I thought it was shrews. platypus they were close to. No, you're thinking of echidnas. Echidnas are related to... Uh, aren't don't monotons. they have a cloaca? No, they're, they're, they're... I don't know if they do, but they give birth to live young. They don't have lay eggs or anything like that. They're not monotrims. Uh, and they're not marsupials either. So anyway, back to the <laughs> garage. So they named him after that. They name... They name characters after things. And again, that's sort of one of the, what I find kind of brilliant about this. Okay, the garage is geothermal powered. Tenric and his uh, crew reside there. It's within a short boat ride of Manhattan, a.k.a. the city of the sea. And what happens is that uh, the, uh, the other, the only other known civilization to have survived that, as far as we know, going by the comics... A place called Wasoon uh, sends their ambassador, Hannah Dundee, there. And Hannah Dundee's party is ambushed by these poachers. And these poachers, you should keep in mind that these poachers are basically not just poachers, but they're kind of like, again, 
Fallout slash Mad Max Raiders. They're very similar to that, but they're they're poachers because they primarily rely on, you know, killing dinosaurs excessively and harvesting their organs to sell in the black market. Because uh, there's apparently a thriving black market somehow. In dinosaur organs. Yeah, dinosaur organs. So For what? For, they, they say, uh, I don't know if they say it in the show, but in the comic they say mention the, in Jack Tenrick's word, the quack medicine market, which... Uh, all right, that's a bit realistic. I mean, yeah, it's very realistic, and also the uh, um, they <laughs> you could argue that you know they might be selling it for uh, you know to you know one thing is that you know men always seem to want to uh, enhance themselves, and uh, it's implied a few times that that might be the reason. But the point is... Oh, they go so far as to imply that? I don't remember if they imply it fully in this in the issues. They mostly just say medicine, and there's some people that seem to believe that they call it, that it's medicinal, but it's... I mean, that's very much a thing with various animal parts. In, and... in the show, it's implied to also be uh, vanity. It's like, okay, that, that those scales will look really good in my trophy room. Those, uh... You know, that's a very rare species. It'll go for a lot of money on the black market. So, um, these poachers ambush Hannah Dundee and uh, her uh, her cohorts, and she sends them back so they can flee, and she makes a break for the city and the sea, and she eventually comes across Jack. The She actually, she, you might remember what happens. Do you remember what happens, Sarah? Uh, not that specific episode, no. Where she shoots out the tire of the Cadillac with a crossbow. She does that, and then she, uh... And then Jack, of course, you know, changes the tire and just explains to her what's what. Um, and that's when we get introduced to, uh... To the concept of what's going on, and we get in... Tenric talks about... Uh, probably the main villain of the series. I would call her the main villain over all of the whole series. Do you remember who? Governor Sharnhorst. Yes, Governor Wilhelmina Sharnhorst. They gave her a nice. They gave her a nice. They named her after a literal German World War II battleship. That's that's the name of an actual battleship, and you know they gave her a nice German name. So you know they're trying to. I think really. Uh, make that uh, particular connection. Um, Sarah, how about you describe Governor Sharnhorst? Um, well, she's uh, governor of where exactly? I City in the Sea. She's governor of City in the Sea. Um, she's, she's one of, I, I should, sorry, I'm, I am going to interrupt again. I'm sorry. You're gonna as be... you can see, I do not follow this as well as Bill does. Well, it's complicated. In the show... She's one of three governors in the comic book. She eventually becomes one of four governors. There's four governors in the comic. There's three governors in the show. She's already a governor in the show. In the comic, she doesn't become a governor until much later. She seems a little uh, loosely allied with the poachers. Yeah, she's loosely allied with the poachers. Go go on. Uh... And, yeah, anytime the dinosaurs are in the way of something... Uh... You know, she wants them cleared out with whoever's going to do it, basically. That's... Yeah, and by cleared out, what do we mean? 
probably killed. I yeah, mean, exactly. So either the poachers are going to do it, or the army's going to do it, or okay, maybe Jack Tenwick can move them. Like, yeah, that's that's actually a very very good summary of like what a typical episode would be. Usually, there's a conflict like that. Uh, Sean Horst will wanna um, will want to uh, resolve it with force, and Tenric will be like, "No, there's another way." And usually, Tenric's way will sort of prevail on that. Um, they had a whole cattle drive episode with um, Triceratops. Yeah, and they that that's where they slipped the most with the name. They kept calling them dinosaurs. They're the driving the herd along with cattle. herding them with Cadillacs and with the. Uh, Hermes running around like he's a healer dog and Yeah, exactly. He was kinda like that. Um and the uh what was it? The the whole thing with that they call it's yeah, it's another nickname. They call them dinosaurs there, but you know, again, that's sort of a slip up of the show. Uh the they they call them Max. That's what they're called. They're called Max in the uh <laughs> in this comic and the show. Uh, but again, that's, that's sort of one of those, uh, weird little, uh, nicknames that, uh, that they, they, they have. It's not even a nickname, it's what they know them as. So, um, that, that, that's one example. That's sort of a typical example. And they were talking about cowboys as if they were some distant mystical part of history. Yeah, that punched cows. What was that? Was that how that was? Uh, they basically punched cows. Again... This is, to be fair, in the comic, they wouldn't even know that. They'd be like, what? Like, where did you find that out? Do they still have cows? Yeah, they still have cows. They have cows that get killed and eaten by by the Slithers, as they would say. They'd be like, oh, the Slithers came and raided our cattle barn again. It would just show, uh, in the comic, it would just show, like, a T-Rex eating a cow. (laughs) Um... But, uh, so again, this is a very, very, uh, wild and wacky series, but it's very, I personally find it very, it personally resonates with me because it's, not only is it post-apocalyptic, it really advocates for humanitarianism as well as, uh, um, ecological consciousness. Now, it's not, uh, again, in the comics, it's not portrayed as an easy thing. It's can, portrayed as a, uh as a complicated thing. Um, in, in the show, Sean Horst is very much, pretty much the bad guy. She's a cynical politician who will readily use force to resolve any ma- measure. In the comic, she's a very shrewd politician, and if you were to probably talk to her, she'd probably say, I'm the good guy. Because Sarah might recall in the first episode of the show... She talks about how the Machinato Vitae inhibits people and inhibits humanity from taking its, what she feels is its rightful place on the top of the food chain, and as she says, takes food out of the mouths of starving children. Uh, again, it's implied to be very cynical in the show, but she seems to really believe that in the uh, comic book, and she seems to really believe that humanity has to progress. And it's implied heavily that she has a point. She has a point that, you know, because the Machinato Vitae, it can be interpreted as very restrictive. Now, do they have more of a point in this than they would in reality because of the cataclysm? Yeah, arguably so, yes. Um, 
the cataclysm very much sort of knocked humanity off the top of the food chain. I mean, I'll be a bit political here and say, here, at least in the U.S., I think it comes down to more of a money thing. Yeah. Um, like, nobody's actually going to, like, starve over whether, you know, the wolves or the mustangs, you know, stay. Yeah. Um, in the show and in the comic, it's implied very heavily that uh, there are tough decisions that are made, but also that people are genuinely afraid of another cataclysm, and that the Nakinato Vita is meant to prevent against that. Uh, and again, that means things like, okay, you can't use something that might be really good technologically, but for example, let's say like, you know, you can't use certain pesticides because yeah, they can cause ecological havoc, but it's sort of like, well, which pesticides are allowed, which pesticides aren't? You could argue uh, that no pesticides are allowed, and that sort of implied that the, uh, that sort of implied, uh, in, again, more in the comic, that, uh, they follow that rule, and Tenric really believes that, whereas Sharnhorse believes any pesticide should be allowed, and again, it's not necessarily that, that either side is right about that, so much as you have to use wisdom in that. Uh, I used to work at a greenhouse, um, yeah. well, in my own garden, I don't spray any pesticides. I do sometimes use fertilizer if I absolutely have to. And, hey, we do get bugs eating our leaves, but yeah. I didn't use any spray. But, you know, at work, you know, I still got to sell, you know, the products that were for sale. And, you know, I would try to direct customers to the um, the safest product that would still do what they need to do. Although if uh, if their problem was beetles, there really wasn't anything that was, you know, mild or safe for that. But yeah. yeah, it's again, it's one of those things where it's very tricky, and you know, it's sort of one of those intelligence versus wisdom for the old D and D trope. You'll have uh, people with uh, a lot of high intelligence but low wisdom. That's a very common thing where. Uh, Science, the hubris of people who would misuse science gets revealed. But also, in the comic more, it's also the fact that, you know, you have to make some leeway. You have to help people, because if people suffer, they're going to turn their backs on the ecosystem, regardless of whether it's healthy or not. In the show, it's very straightforward. It's a lot more of a Captain Planety message where, you know, the ecosystem, you know, it's got to be protected and there's the bad guys. Um, so we, we very much sort of covered, I'd say, the diametric views of uh, Tenric and uh, Sharnhorst. Um, so we might as well get to some of the uh, side uh, parts of this. Uh, well, Hannah Dundee, I think she's very, very, I mean, she's the second, really the second main character um, in some ways she's, in many ways she's the main character as well. She is, uh, the ambassador from a distant land called Lassoon, which we know very little about in the show. It's gradually revealed more about in the car, in the comic, but... Yeah, I didn't understand the Wasoon thing at all. Yeah, it's, it's basically a swampland, and it's meant to, I think, I feel Florida? like it's... Florida? No, no, it's north. It's, or it's, it's north of Florida... 
We're not sure where it is. I'm not sure if it's supposed to be, uh... Um... Like, how far north are we talking? Muskeg? Canada? No, uh, uh, yeah, exactly. That's the thing. I'd have to actually find the books and look at the, uh... Yeah, I don't know where my copies are, but I'd have to look at the map. Uh, it's somewhere between D.C. and Canada. That's all we really know. Um, but it's swampy area. Um... And a lot of their books have been destroyed, and a lot of their technology have been destroyed. And that's actually in both the show and the, in both the show and the comics, it's very much an alter ulterior motive for Hannah is to find the uh, information and the technology in the city and the sea so she can help utilize it. Uh, and she's trained to read, which is um, a rarity. It's shown to be a rarity in both the show and the book. And, uh, she, she, that, she is able to read. She's, uh, very smart, very capable. Sarah, how would you describe Hannah Dundee? Go ahead. Don't be... Well, smart and capable, um, a bit, uh, daring. She wants to drive the, the Cadillac and, um... Yeah, it's like a continual It's a continual thing. thing, and Jack doesn't want her driving it. But, yeah, uh. and it's like sort of a running gag in the, uh, not the original comics, but the uh, Topps comics spinoff. Uh, it's sort of a running gag that whenever she drives, something goes wrong. Um, and she, she's compassionate, and then, yeah, there was a time they found a, a feral kid, and she wanted to adopt this kid, and... Um, Jack is like, no, he belongs with the Griff. Let him go. He's uh, not gonna... Yeah, yeah. And, um, we'll get to the Griff in a second. We gotta, I guess, cover more of Hannah Dundee, because she's a very complicated character. Uh, as Sarah said, yeah, she wanted to adopt, uh, this one child. She... Do you want to say more about Hannah? Um, you can go ahead. No, go ahead. By all means. I want to, I want to get more of your assessment. I don't have much more. I told you I binged this. Um, I was also pretty overtired while binging yeah. something. <laughs> you read the comics. Alright, well, she is a... She argues with Jack a lot. They're... Yeah, go on. They're... They're friends, but they argue, and it's almost like they're together, but not really, and... Yeah, they're they're implied in the show to be like really good friends, but also uh like they become good friends. Uh and she is meant to be sort of a a, a, a an observer of the city and the sea and its uh political machinations for uh Wasoon and she's supposed to report back to Wasoon and talk to them. Doesn't she refer to herself as a politician at some point? Mm-hmm. Well, she described herself as a... Yeah, in the pilot episode, she described herself as both a politician and a scientist. And Jack just said... I don't like either of those. Yeah, uh, he, he said, I hate... I don't remember which one it was, but he said he hates one and he hates the other even more. And, uh, which is, to be fair, that's... Uh, given the examples he has to go by, you can sort of not blame him. But they still become fast friends. They still bicker all the time. There's a uh, sort of a romantic tension. They in the both show. act jealous when a character that is, you know, a woman who is with uh, the poachers is like hanging out with them for a while, and she acts jealous about it. And um, later, uh, 
a robot that um, nobody realizes is a robot. The robot looks like, you know, a stereotypically attractive man. And, That's what we call an android or um, a mandroid. And, yeah, Jack's teasing her about that she has a thing for him and... Yeah. yeah, she does have a thing for the robot man, I think. Um, yeah, his name is Mega Man X. I'm sorry, not that. It's, uh, it's, um, shoot, I don't even remember what it was. It was, uh, um, I think it was Adonis, actually. I think they actually named him that. But again, he's a show only character. <laughs> and he's actually, he was a, he was a robot. He was an android built by the military, a la, again, Data slash Mega Man X, but. You know, of course, not and of course the, doctor, um, the military. The bad guys do an override with the robot system so that he works for them for a while. And yeah, and he eventually uh, goes back to uh, suspended animation because he's realize they all realize he's too dangerous to remain around. But uh, yeah, that's sort of one of those interesting episodes. There, there's a lot of interesting uh, sort of techno and eco fables. Uh, throughout each episode. There's only 13 episodes in the uh, whole show. Well, that's um, pretty typical for a season of a... Yeah, it's for a season and it didn't get renewed. And, you know, you could kind of clearly see that they were uh, they were reusing certain uh, shots. I mean, I don't know if you caught that, Sarah. If not, that's cool. I did it's... not catch it. Yeah, I only catch it when I caught it because I've seen it a million times, of course. Uh, it did not get renewed, despite the fact that it was actually popular, but it got bumped to a, uh, different time slot, and, uh, it was, like, CBS Kids, and then it got, uh, in the 90s, because I remember it was, uh, alongside Ninja, the old Ninja Turtles cartoon, and then it got cancelled, because there was, uh, other, they, they shortened the CBS cartoon stuff. Um, so it's only 13 episodes, which is kind of a shame, it's... Very entertaining, in my opinion, overall. I mean, I think that they, if they were to reboot it, they should make it more like the comic, but I think they should keep the intro, because the intro is really badass, if you uh, look it up. But, so yeah, Hannah Dundee, she is, uh, she's very capable. She's, uh, she's basically a polymath. She's very good at fighting. She's, uh, you know, as smart as any of the smartest characters, and she she actually knows how to read and knows how to use computers uh, in both the comics and the uh, the cartoon, and that's one of those things that sort of sets her apart because that's not a common thing at all. Uh, so, and I guess we have to get into the whole Griff thing because Sarah's talking about the Griff. And they actually play a very prominent role in the whole series. What are they and why are they there? Okay. The Griff are basically clearly... I'd say they're pretty clearly modeled after the much-loved uh, slash much-maligned slash very controversial but still utilized dinosauroid... Uh, you might remember that, so the dinosauroid where they... Where was it? A guy named Dale Russell sort of hypothesized that dinosaurs would become more human-like. Some dinosaur species, like Troodon, would become more human-like. I... I don't... I saw, like, one little thing about that in some kind of... But you know what I'm talking about. I know what you're talking about, because I saw a drawing of, like, what if dinosaurs became, um, 
like people and yeah. they're it was drawn yeah. basically like a lizard uh like a big eyes person. uh yeah yeah basically like a lizard person it had you know uh, it was like a human being, but it was reptilian with three claws and uh, on the hand uh, and big eyes and, you know, usually about between five and six feet tall. And that's basically what the Grith are. But why are they there? We we the, don't have dinosauroid people now, so... Well, the thing is this. The dinosaurs and all the prehistoric uh, life, they were, I mentioned the Fallout uh, connection... Those who played Fallout might remember something called the Garden of Eden Creation Kit. Uh, if you remember the Fallout 2 video, it says results may vary. Well, this is the results varying. Uh, this is the basically the equivalent of a geck getting out there and causing life to grow un- grow completely unrestrained. So they and genetically engineered it? from. No, it's like they used the building blocks of life. They didn't genetically engineer individual things, although they sort of did, but they put the building blocks of life into the ecosystem and it somehow evolved this complex network this complex mega ecosystem of every uh every instance of life from you know the year you know three billion uh you know bc to present and anything in between uh together so they did that. Um, now, what is implied in the comics? They don't go into this in the cartoon, but in the comics, it's very implied that um, the Grith are actually dinosaurs that survived the KT extinction and evolved into a human-like society. So, what were they doing? Hiding underground? Yes, or? they were hiding underground, watching humanity wreck things. That sounds a lot things. like a certain Doctor Who. Uh... Yeah, and they were, ba- yeah, the Sur- Silurians, right? Yeah, is that it's that one, right? That's... The one with the the lizards are. It was and the Silurians, thought... wasn't it? I'm trying to remember. I think it was. Um, I don't remember. Anyway, the point is that yeah, but they weren't vengeful. They were sad. They wanted to guide humanity. And they actually, it's implied that they wanted to reveal themselves to humanity before, but it also is implied that they have tried that with bad results. And I think that's meant to be sort of... That doesn't uh, surprise me. Yeah, but I think that's meant to sort of be like an implication that early demon and angel reports were maybe them. I don't know, I'm probably reading too much into that because they don't get into that. Um, They just know that the Griff actually... Nobody knew knows about them in the comics except for that's another thing. Everybody sort of knows about them and accepts them and knows that they're there in the uh, cartoon. In the comics, the only people that know about them are Jack, other old blood mechanics, and Hannah. It's kind of surprising that the government doesn't crack down on them. Yeah, well, they remember in that one episode, uh, Sharnhorse did talk about sending the army after them. Sharnhorse doesn't know about them in the comics. Nobody knows about them again, except for Jack and other old blood mechanics and Hannah and a handful of others. Like, they don't know about them. And Do they have magic? Because it seems like they... It is strongly implied that they have some kind of... Um, I don't know if I'd call it magic, but they some sort of weird reality hack where they uh, they do things like they're able to communicate telepathically with creatures... Uh, in the show, they communicate telepathically with uh, people. 
They have their leader named Hob. Uh, he's not so much a leader in the comics so much as he's just their communication liaison. Uh, but in the, in the show, he's implied to be a leader. And he's the only one that you might recall, Sarah, is the only one wearing clothes in the show. You might remember that, how all the others are, like, naked. But he isn't. He's got a, a cloak and a uh, sort of a staff. And he's he's the one, you know, being... Uh, He's basically the one being the negotiator, and he's always trying to guide uh, not just Tenric, but humanity in general. He's trying to reason with humans. Uh, and the show he... You want to describe this, Sarah? Describe what he looked like? No, or? what he does. Like, what, is, what does he do? Well, he's... Uh... I'm uh, sorry. I'm. Um, no, go ahead. What does he? What does he do? He does he? He talks to people, right? He talks to people, but he doesn't. I mean, he talks with Jack some, and yeah, I really should have been less tired while watching that. All right. Well, he you in the uh, comics they use Scrabble tiles, in the show they use telepathy. Uh, so. But it's implied that they have telepathy with their other animals. Um, yeah, they seemed he seemed to be able to talk to and control the dinosaurs, um, or convince them to do what. Yeah, and uh, but again, and they can more or less do this in the comic. But in the comic, he's able to. Um, they use Scrabble tiles to communicate with humans. And that kid they were raising seemed to be able to. Um, have an affinity with the dinosaurs also. He was riding around on the triceratops. And... Yeah, he's able to do that. He's the, he's the wild child. And again, the difference is that, you know, in the comics that, uh... He, alright, he's sort of a consistent story. Um, where he basically is one who actually, um... He's basically somebody who, um, he was, he was saved by the Griff from hyenas. His mother abandoned him, uh, and fled from hyenas. The Griff found him and raised him, um, after he was injured. And he, he basically is like one of the Griff now. So, um, but he is a human. And in, he's sort of struggling with a dual identity. So yeah, it's just like another character. And there's the, an episode where he gets injured, and um, Hannah gets to him and um, takes him in. But she'd like to adopt him because you know he's a injured kid with no parents, and um, Jack is saying that. He doesn't belong here. He's not going to do okay, you know, being raised among people. He needs to go back to the Griff. They're his family. And... Yeah, and again, in the comic, it's implied that he's having trouble with the Griff. The Griff are kind of not prepared to handle a human with a, a human teenager with all those raging hormones. <laughs> Um, 
So, but again, he's he's still sort of a preteen in the uh, in the in the show. He's lives with the Griff, and um, that's uh, that's sort of how that is. Sarah, I don't know if you want to. Uh, I don't know if there's anything else you want to say. I figured that we would uh, wrap this up for part one. I figured we'd do a second part because there's a lot of ground to cover still. All right. Uh... And as I said, I haven't actually read any of these comics, so that's pretty much relying on Bill unless he has some for me to borrow. I do, but I don't know where they are. I, I, I can't find them. Otherwise, I uh, would give you them. If, if we find them before between now and the next episode, we will let you know. Um, but until then, uh, until next time. Thank you for listening to Cast It Into the Fire.